This is the Peter Creek Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Peter Creek, we honor God by making more disciples for Jesus Christ. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged with this week's message from Pastor Kelly Baldridge. first 17 verses or so is speaking to us, giving us instruction regarding the unity of the church, not just the church locally in Ephesus, but ultimately the church globally, every church, every believer, but it has practical implications upon the local body of believers. He gives us seven ones to demonstrate the unity that we already have in Christ, for he has instructed us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Maintaining is something to, to note there, that we are to maintain, meaning it is something that we already have. It is something that we already possess. As believers, we already have a unity in the Spirit. It's a unity that brings us together. It's not something to work for, but it's something to sustain. And it is a complete unity, one which you will never see in the world. Uh, We might unite for a time on certain things, but it is only in the church where you will see this complete unity exist. And so today's consideration in particular works to separate the believer from the world, the Christian from the world. And so let's ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And right now in this moment, as we already have heard from you, we need to hear from you again. This is your word. It is true. It is truth for you are a God of truth, and you are true, and everything that you says is true. Everything that you say, O oh God, is true. And so we ask for your spirit to guide us and to teach us in this truth. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, and amen. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe you've heard a poem, uh, this poem in particular, or at least you've heard a couple lines from it, a poem written by William Ernest Henley called Invictus. It says, out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms, but the horror of the shade and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate How charged with punishments the scroll, I am the master of my fate, 
I am the captain of my soul. Well, this is not the word of the Lord. But this is the way that most people live. They live as if they are the master of their own fate, the captain of their own soul. This is an atheistic poem, isn't it? It is a poem set against God. It is this idea that I am Lord of myself, that I'm Lord over my life, that I do as I please and I can be what I want to be according to my own purposes and my own pleasures and my own desires. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Now, what does this have to do with baptism? What does this have to do with one baptism? Well, everything actually. See, Henley may have been helping individuals see that no one is in control of them. No one is master over them. And maybe you would like it if you're tired of the man or you're tired of others trying to control you. Or maybe you're tired of the way of the world being master over you or the situation you find yourself in. And you listen to this poem and you think, I'll pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'll do what is necessary to to save myself, to make my life better. But this kind of life, a life lived where you're the master, is actually no life at all. It's a hopeless life. Because the truth of the matter is we're not the captain of our own soul. And it's honestly a foolish thought. Baptism provides us, though, with the correction. Now, I want you to see today that baptism in Ephesians 4 or 5 is being spoken of not as the act that occurs. We're not speaking of the physical act of baptism. We're not getting into a discussion about the mode because if you know anything about the Christian church, there are those within it that disagree on the mode of baptism, whether it's by immersion or whether it's by sprinkling or what we call effusion or pouring. And so remember at the heart of this is unity. Paul is not speaking here of the mode of baptism. He is not trying to to help us to see that because we understand that there's actually a little bit of a division amongst the church on the mode of baptism. Nor is he speaking on the physical act of who is baptized. There are those who disagree with on, on who should be baptized, whether it should be believers only, adult believers, or whether infants can be baptized. Again, there is a little bit of division within the church. But he says one baptism, that we are united. And so we're not speaking about the act of baptism today, but we're speaking about what baptism signifies, what it signals to us, what it points us to, what is the theology behind it, what is the meaning behind it, what is the depth behind it. There is a clue in the passage itself that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, that there is one Lord, and we are to submit to him, that we are to obey him, that we are to live for him, and that as we come into this one Lord by the one Spirit, we come in by faith. And that faith is what saves us, not the baptism, but the faith in Jesus Christ, the one Lord. And then there's this one baptism. Again, we're not speaking of the mode or who is baptized, but we're speaking about what baptism points us to. 
What does it signify? Well, what does it signify? First, this. You've got a new home and new clothes. You've got a new home and new clothes. And here's what I mean by this. Baptism tells us that we might have a 41553 address. We might live on this weird circle called 194. And it's everywhere, isn't it? That may be our physical address. But we're actually part of a new home. We have a new home. It doesn't matter where we have our abode here on this earth, but you have a new home. The more technical thing we're saying is this, that Christian, you've been baptized into the sphere of Christ's lordship or the realm of Christ's lordship. You once belonged to the world and to the things of this world. But now that you've been saved by faith alone in Christ alone, you've been baptized into this new kingdom. It is the kingdom of God. You no longer belong to this world and the things of this world. You belong to a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a new home. This is a wonderful thing. Now you realize too, as a Christian and you've been baptized, you understand that you're a baptized man or you're a baptized woman. And though you have an abode here, this is not your home. This world is not your home because you have a new home. And that home is actually awaiting you. It's a better home. It's a more glorious home. It's something to look forward to. It's something to long for. It's something that we will desire because we have this new home. But then also we understand too that in this there's new clothes. Throughout the Bible, clothes is important. We could go to Zechariah and see that prophecy where uh, it's a wonderful picture that this Joshua, the high priest, represents the people and he has got these filthy rags on, these filthy clothes. And they tell uh, the angel to take those off of him and put on a new robe. And when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we come to him, that's what happens. Our old, filthy, sinful clothing is removed. The garments that are black and dark and, and, and awful and terrible are removed. And in place, we put on something else. In Galatians 3, Paul says, for as many of, as for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What is the clothing that we have now? It's a pure robe. It's the robe of the Lord Jesus. We have put on Christ. We no longer are clothed by the things of this world. We are no longer overtaken by the things of this world. We're no longer bound by the things of this world, but rather we have put on Christ because we've been baptized into Christ. We have new clothes. We don't belong to this world and the things that are in this world. The evil, the sinful things, those lists that Paul gives, those no longer are our identity, but now our identity is in Christ. You've got a new home and new clothes. And how does that happen? Well, it happens because you also have a new Lord. You've got a new Lord. There is a captain of your fate or a captain of your soul. There is a master of your fate, but it is not you. 
His name is Jesus Christ. That he is the captain of your soul. See, you've got a new master. In Acts 19, Paul heads to Ephesus and he meets some disciples there. And this is the start of the church that we're reading about even now in Ephesians. And they were disciples, but they had a baptism that was different. They had been baptized by John the Baptist and their baptism was into John's baptism, a baptism of repentance. But if you remember, John the Baptist says, I baptize you in this way, but he's going to baptize you in a different way. He's going to baptize you by his spirit. And so don't be confused because some think that the only name you can be baptized in is the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, let me go with this because in Acts 19, they find out that they needed to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that's because they were baptized in John's baptism. The point that he is making is not that that one name alone should be said at baptism, but rather to say that he is the Lord, that Jesus is the Lord. When you are baptized, you're baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus because he is your Lord. No one else is your Lord. John the Baptist isn't your Lord. The world isn't your Lord. And you are not your Lord. Phelps is not your Lord. Your job is not your Lord. Your family is not your Lord. Jesus is your Lord. In Matthew, when Jesus gives the great commission, he says to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, these things go together. And both point to the fact that this is a baptism into the Lordship of Jesus Christ. One baptism because there is one Lord. You are forsaking all else, forsaking the world and the things of this world, and you are giving yourself over to the master, Jesus Christ. He alone is Lord. Now let's go back to this new home and new clothes for a moment. The reason you have new home and new clothes is because the Lord, Jesus Christ, is the one who left his home in heaven and came and took on himself the likeness of sinful flesh, but he was without sin. And on the cross, the Father puts your clothes, your dirty, filthy, sinful clothes on him. And he pays your sin debt so that the robe of righteousness that was stripped from him is put upon you. He gets your sin. You get his righteousness. So let me ask this. What kind of Lord is he? What kind of Lord is the government? Oh, we don't want to get into that, do we? Taxes and all of those things. What, what kind of Lord or, or political leaders? If they, if they were Lord, oh, they would be tyrants and rule over us. And they already try to be tyrants now. What kind of Lord is your career or your job? Oh, they would have you every moment, wouldn't they, if they could? What kind of Lord are the things in your life that you put in place of God? They are no Lord at all. And they are not the Lord like our Lord is. Our Lord is the one, yes, he demands obedience. But yet, why wouldn't we want to obey him? 
a gentle shepherd as he is. Says a smoking flax he will not quench. Before that it says a bruised reed he will not break. He is the Lord who says, come to me all who are weak and are heavy laden. I do not need to go over and over again to tell you to say that this Lord is a Lord worth following. He is a master worth keeping up with. He is a master worth trusting in. But ultimately, when you are baptized, when we think of baptism, this one baptism, what it is saying is that I am with him. I align with Jesus. I'm with the one on the middle cross. I'm with him. He is, he is mine and I am his. Now think about these early Christians. In America, we don't face this kind of persecution, but it is coming. But these early Christians, for them to align with Jesus, for them to experience that one baptism meant everything. Because for them to be baptized into Christ was to say, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. It was for them to say that the world around them, they had forsaken so they could follow Christ. It meant that perhaps they would have to go to the death because Jesus is Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when we are baptized, when we understand this one baptism, the baptism that we have signifies that very fact, that he is Lord no matter what. No matter what may come our way, he is Lord. And now, don't we know this to be true? Because the Lord Jesus himself told us so. He commanded us, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Okay, well, if we stop there, we may think, well, that, that's a big ask, but it's worth it. We can do it. If anyone come after me, let him deny himself. Okay, I'll deny myself. I'll de- deny myself food. I'll de- deny myself certain things and, and certain ways of living. Perhaps I'll, I'll submit to, to less of an income. Submit to, to less of, of housing or whatever it may be. But that's not where he ends. Because the Lord Jesus then says, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If Jesus is Lord, it means that you've denied yourself, but you also have taken up your cross. And if you take up your cross and follow after Christ, where does that lead? To death. It leads to death. And so this verse leads us to our next thing in baptism pointing us to something else as well, that you're not your own. You're not your own. Baptism unites us in that it shows us that we no longer are individuals, but we are together. We are one. That we deny himself, that's what Jesus told us to do, that we deny ourselves. So think of the physical act of baptism itself. You, you can't baptize yourself. Um, Kyle's brother, Devin, I shouldn't have mentioned his name, maybe. But uh, when we were younger, I was baptized at an early age. I mentioned this story before. And he came to see my baptism. And he said, well, I baptized myself in the tub every night. And uh, all that to say, you can't baptize yourself. Baptism is passive. It happens to you. Why? Because it's not about you as an individual. 
It's not something that you do for yourself or can do yourself. You're no longer your own man or own woman. You're no longer captain of your own soul or master of your own fate. You never were and now you never will be. Only the Lord Jesus is. How unifying this ought to be for us. There's no room for selfishness in the church. There's no room for pride or arrogance in the church. There's no room for any of us to say, look what I have done. Because everything that good has come in our life has come from the hand of the Father. And because of the Lord, Jesus Christ. You're not your own and you're not anyone's but Christ. You're his. You belong to him. Paul had to deal with this in particular with the Corinthians. First Corinthians 1, he says this, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. We're not anyone's, but his. We belong to Jesus Christ. And this is a wonderful thing for us that we're no longer individuals, but we've been united, not by who our pastor is, not by the one who physically baptized us, not by the one who led us to the Lord Jesus, but by Jesus himself, we've been united. That we are his and we belong to him. He is ours and we are his. So you're not your own, but you also have a new nature. That's the next point. You've got a new nature. By nature, we were all in Adam. That's what Romans 5 teaches us. That's what 1 Corinthians 15, I believe, teaches us. That's what the whole Bible teaches us. That we are connected to Adam by nature. That we are sinners. That we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means we belonged as we belong in Adam. We belong to the world. We belong to the devil. And we belonged to sin. It was our nature to be sinners. Again, the old illustration that we've used over and over again. You never have to teach a child to sin. You only have to teach them to obey. We know that, don't we? We understand that this is true, that this is our nature. But the good news, baptism points to the fact that we have (coughs) new natures. That Romans 6 teaches us this gloriously. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus... We're baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And here it is, this change of nature. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The old has passed away. Baptism points us to the fact that in Christ we have died. The the song we sing, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when he was raised from the dead? Those who were in Christ can say, yes, I was there. It may have been 2,000 years ago, but I was there because I'm in Christ. I've been united to him. And because I'm united to him, I'm united in his death. I have died and I've died to sin. The old nature is gone. It's no longer me. It has no effect on me. It has no power over me. And now I have a new nature. I'm a new creation because Christ was raised and I'm raised with him. And I have a new life in Christ. And baptism tells us all of these things. That when we see someone baptized, we are to think what a wonderful savior he is. That he has taken those who were dead in their sins and their trespasses and he has made them alive in Christ. And we are to be reminded of the very fact that we too once were dead in our trespasses and sins and we have been made alive. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Your old nature was the nature of death. But you're a baptized man. You're a baptized woman. God has saved you. Your nature now is a nature of life. And it is a life eternal. A life in God. Or life to God in Christ Jesus. You once were an Adam in the world, the devil in sin. But you've died with Christ and you're now alive with Christ. Once in the realm of death and decay, but now in the realm of life and growth. Why? How has this happened? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. What God has done by his spirit is to baptize us. That The baptism that the Lord Jesus gives us is not just this physical act with water, but it is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have a new home. We have new clothes. We have a new nature. We have a new Lord. And his name is Jesus Christ. Now, Some of you have not been baptized physically. I want to encourage you to be baptized physically. But I also want to encourage you to know that that baptism is not what saves you. That physical act, it's not what saves you. But it's what the Spirit does 
to baptize you. It's what the Spirit does in you that saves, that he unites you to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you die to sin as you're united to Christ in his death, that you're raised to walk in newness of life just as Christ was raised. There's one baptism. And so brother and sister in Christ, those of you who've been baptized, let this be what you were reminded of in your baptism. But to those of you who have not trusted in the Lord Jesus, may you not look to the physical act itself, but may you consider what it signifies. Has God given you a new heart so that you would believe the gospel? That you would believe in Jesus Christ? That you would believe that he is your Lord? That he is the one who rose again from the dead on the third day? That on the cross he paid for your sins? He did that so that you would be forgiven of your sins? Do you believe that? Then I would tell you that the only reason and the only way that you're able to believe that is because of the Spirit's work in you. And so follow in obedience to the Lord. One baptism. One baptism because there's one Lord and one faith. Let's pray. Most gracious Father, we come to you in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we've gathered and considered this one baptism, yes, we rejoice in the physical act and what it portrays and how beautiful it is. As you mark us as your own people, as you tell us that we are yours and that you claim us to be yours and that we too see that we have a new Lord. Let us be those who live for him who live for you, who honor you, who give you glory. Father, I pray for these who are gathered. I pray for each and every one that they would trust in Jesus Christ. Those who are Christians, Lord, I pray for them that they would continue trusting in Jesus Christ, that they would see their need for the gospel daily in their lives. I pray for those who have not trusted in Christ yet, I pray, Father, that not only would they have this knowledge about Christ and not only would they have this emotional desire for Christ, I pray, Father, that in their hearts they would trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we rejoice in one baptism because of the one Lord, the Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray and ask this. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If God has used this message to influence you or you would like more information about our church, connect with us on the Peter Creek Presbyterian Church Facebook page. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages from Pastor Kelly Baldridge.